Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, today, uh, we just had a lot of people baptized with water, and uh, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about water baptism, what comes before, what comes after. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 5 says, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. The Egyptians are pursuing them. God opens the sea and the children of Israel pass through the sea on dry ground. And the Bible says they were baptized into Moses in the water and under the cloud. And they all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, the children of Israel are in Egypt, which is a type of the world. In fact, what you find in the Old Testament, the Bible calls them types and shadows. So you look there and you can see a truth that is much clearer in the the New Testament. In fact, uh, one of the ways that it's often referred to is this. What is in the Old Testament concealed is in the New Testament revealed. So there's a type and a shadow in the Old Testament. Egypt is a type of the world. So God's going to have to get the Israelites out of Egypt, which is a type of him getting us out of the world. And then he brings them to the Red Sea where they're baptized in the sea water under the cloud, which was a pillar of fire which represents spirit baptism. That's why we're calling this the blood, the cloud, and the sea. So they've been there for 430 years in Egypt. They've become slaves. They've been crying out to God. God sends Moses to be their deliverer. And as the the Egyptians refuse to let the Israelites go, plagues begin to come, right? Now, you find in the book of Psalms that each one of these plagues was an attack on an Egyptian god. For example, the Egyptians worshiped the sun. So what happens? A plague of darkness. And you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Now, don't ask me why, but they worship frogs. So you know what showed up? Frogs. They worship the Nile River. So what happened to the Nile? It turns to blood. Every one of the plagues was an attack on one of the gods that the Egyptians had, right? But with all that happened, still, they would not let the children of Israel go. So God said to Moses, he said, tell every family on the 10th day of the month, take a lamb into your house. Keep it until the 14th day of the month. As the sun is setting, take the lamb outside and kill the lamb. Now, It's a picture of the innocent dying for the guilty, right? John the Baptist said about Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God 
that takes away the sin of the world. But when they killed the lamb, they had to collect the blood in a basin. And then God said, take a piece of hyssop, which is a very, very common uh, shrub in that part of the world, maybe like goldenrod would be around here. And said, stand in front of your house and put that hyssop in that blood and strike above the door and put blood on top of the door. And then strike on the right side and on the left side with blood. And then God made this statement. He said, the Lord's going to pass through the land and he will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. God said, wherever I see the blood, he said, I will not allow the destroyer to come in and strike you. Now, it was really the blood that got them freedom from Egypt. And it's the blood that gets us freedom from Satan's kingdom, from the fallen world. The Bible says you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood purchased your and my salvation. Now, they had to stand in front of their house and they had to put hyssop in the blood and strike their door. Well, you and I, we don't use hyssop today, but we do use our tongue because your tongue is your hyssop. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In Revelation 12, it says, they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. So the way that we apply the blood today is by saying what the blood of Jesus has purchased for us. And again, they've been there 430 years. And as a result of the, the, the firstborn dying, God said, Israel is my firstborn and you won't let my firstborn go. He said, I will strike your firstborn. And so the firstborn where there was no blood was, was smitten that night. The destroyer came and smote the firstborn. They let the children of Israel go as a result, right? And again, that Passover lamb that they killed was a type of Jesus. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So they get out of Egypt. Now, the Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy where they're going. They're going to the promised land, right? And in the first chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, it says it's an 11-day journey, right? An 11-day journey to get to the promised land. Anybody remember how long it took? 40 years. 40 years. It was an 11-day journey. How many of you do not want to go around the mountain a lot of times? Right? Now, literally, they're supposed to get to the promised land. The promised land is not a type of heaven. The promised land is a type of a victorious Christian life. Right? When they got to the promised land, the promised land was not empty. There were giants. There were walled cities. There were seven nations in the promised land. And they had to go and dispossess the enemy. Now, that's a picture of a Christian life. How many of you realize there's going to be some opposition? There's going to be the enemy is there. You know, when you get to heaven, no giants, no enemies. But for a victorious Christian life, there, there are enemies. In fact, the Bible tells us, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word resist means to actively fight against. Right? So the apostle Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. 
So the Christian life is a fight. Not that? It's a fight from, so to speak, the womb to the tomb. As long as we're here, there's going to be a fight to live the victorious Christian life that God has for us. So what happened in the Old Testament, they just applied that blood with the hyssop. We apply the blood with the hyssop of our tongue. But Jesus took his blood. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, he took his his blood into the tabernacle. The Bible says the more perfect tabernacle. Literally, the tabernacle that God has in heaven, not made with hands, not made by humans. That is not of this creation. And not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all. And he obtained an eternal redemption. In the the Old Testament, they took the blood of, of goats and calves every year because all it could do was cover sin. But the Bible tells us Jesus' blood does not cover your sin. Jesus' blood takes away your sin. It is gone. So he only came once and took his blood and put it on that mercy seat in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that blood is speaking right now. And it speaks and it says, God, forgive them, bless them, deliver them, give them peace. God, that that blood is speaking on your behalf and my behalf. So God gets them out of Egypt. Now, here's what happens. It wasn't hard for God to get them out of Egypt, but it was a lot of work to get Egypt out of them. They had Egypt on the inside. Now, they were out, but it was still in. And really what happens, God had to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. For us in the New Testament, Colossians 1, verses 12 and 13 say this. Giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness or the kingdom of darkness and conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So literally in in the Old Testament, they were just taken out of Egypt. But the Bible tells us that spiritually something happens when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That God takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and he translates you into the kingdom of the son of his love. Now, so often we're content right there. I remember growing up, uh, we would be in the car and we would sing this little Christian song. Uh, 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 You're going to find out why they asked me to quit the volunteer choir right now. All right. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Right. We would sing this song and it says, oh, build me a cabin in the corner of glory land. I mean, anybody beside me ever heard that? But we just wanted a cabin in the corner of glory land. All right. Well, the Bible says in Colossians 1 that the father has qualified you for your to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. That you are not qualified to be blessed because of what you've done, but you're qualified because of what Jesus has done. And the Father has qualified you for your share of the inheritance. Now, we were just like, uh, we just want to make heaven. If we just get a little log cabin in the corner of heaven someplace, we're going to be happy. Right? But the Bible says that you have been qualified for your share of the inheritance. 
right? So there are some benefits, right? David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of my iniquities, heals all of my diseases, redeems my life from destruction, satisfies my mouth with good things, renews my youth like the eagles. He's just talking about some of the benefits that belong to us because we've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. So the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt. They go into the wilderness and Pharaoh and the Egyptians change their mind. And they say, you know what? We should have never let them go. Let's go after them. So Pharaoh, 600 chariots and all of his army pursue the Israelites. And the Israelites are camped right next to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh thinks we've got them. They're cornered, right? Now, here's what I want you to catch. When, when you leave the kingdom of darkness and come into the kingdom of the son of his love, right? At that point, everything that's part of the demonic kingdom does not belong in your life. The devil has no legal right to attack you, but he is a thief He's a liar and he's a killer and he will try to attack you, right? I think it's interesting. Jesus is baptized in the water at Jordan River and immediately he goes into the, de into the desert. The Bible says the spirit of God drove him into, led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now the first Adam married to Eve he lost a battle to the devil in the Garden of Eden. But as soon as Jesus is baptized in water, as soon as the Holy Spirit has come upon him, God leads him into the wilderness to face the devil. Understand this. God is not afraid of the devil. And God in you is not afraid of the devil. He leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And Jesus is tempted by the devil for 40 days. And the Bible says this in Luke 4. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He departed from him until what? An opportune time. I remember when I, I, was, I first became a Christian and I, 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 like, I said, God, I'm just going to become so spiritual. I will never be tempted again. Didn't work. In fact, years later, somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, I want you to pray that the devil will never tempt me again. And I said to him, I'm not going to do it. But what I could do is go home and get a gun and shoot you. Because the only way you're not going to have any more temptations is when you're dead. Right? Realize, Jesus, the devil left Jesus for a more opportune time. The devil will try to pursue you. Right? which is one of the reasons for water baptism. Right? As they come to the Red Sea, the enemy is coming behind. Moses cries out and says, God, help us. God said, extend your rod over the sea. And when he does, God opens the sea. And the children of Israel are able to walk through on dry ground. Now, remember, the Bible says that when they did, they were baptized into Moses in the water, and under the cloud. So they're passing through, and the Bible's very clear, they passed through all night. Right? And the cloud became a pillar of fire at night. 
which represents spirit baptism. John the Baptist said, he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's water baptism and spirit baptism that is taking place as they go through that water. Now, the water, again, it represents our being water baptized. Now, God made this statement to them. He said, you're going to go through, and he says, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more forever. Now, what water baptism, one of the things that water baptism is, is it is a line of demarcation. It is a line where we say, devil, I have been translated out of your kingdom into the kingdom of the son of his love. And none of your works, everything that comes to kill, to steal and destroy has any right in my body and right now in my family. And I say, you must go. It is a line of demarcation. We are proclaiming, I'm a new creature. I'm translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of God. I belong to God. I'm a part of his kingdom. I'm in Christ and it's, everything is new. So really we can say it's that, that water baptism is a barrier. God says, you won't see them anymore forever. They've got no right in your life. And it's a grave. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter six that when we're water, water baptized, we are buried with him in baptism. We're saying Jesus died for me, but we're doing even more than saying he died for me. The apostle Paul said this in Galatians two, verse 20. He said, I was crucified with Christ. I was crucified with Christ. So we're not just saying he was my substitute. We're identifying with him and that he took me there. He took me to the cross. And when he was buried, I was buried. And the Bible says, when he was raised, you were raised. In the book of Ephesians, it says that he's made you to sit together with him in heavenly places, far above principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named, not just in this world, but also in the world to come, right? It is one thing to say he's my substitute, but it's something completely different. It's another level to recognize I died with him. I was buried with him. I was raised with him and I'm seated with him in heavenly places. See, it's a whole nother level. And that's what the Bible says is happening, right? At water baptism, we are saying I was buried with him. And then in Ephesians, Ephesians excuse me, Romans chapter six in verse four, it says that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Right? It's talking about you're buried with him in baptism. And just like Jesus rose in newness of life, when we come up out of the water, we are saying, God, I am living, I'm identified with Christ, and I'm living a new, different, victorious kingdom of God life. Right? So literally, you're, you're burying the old man. How many of you know when somebody dies, what you do? You bury him. Right? If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. What we can do with that old man? Let's bury him. Right? And that's what you do. In fact, the Bible says in Peter that it's that baptism gives you a clear conscience. Right? 
It's the answer of a clear conscience. You say, why is that? Because in the waters of baptism, you leave the addiction to drugs. You leave alcoholism. You leave the addiction to, 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 to alcohol, to pornography. You leave the shame. You, you, you leave every sin, everything that, that you, that of your old life that you, that, that shouldn't be in your new life. You bury it in the waters of baptism. So those waters right there, they are the dirtiest waters in Grand Rapids. They got alcoholism. They've got porn addiction in them. They, they, they've, got, they've got drug addiction in them. They've got shame in them. They have got every terrible thing you can think of. There's prejudice in there. there there's, there's racism in there. Everything that's old, that doesn't belong in your new life, you bury it and you leave it. And the Bible says you come up new. You're different. You come and live in newness of life just like Jesus lives in newness of life. Now, here's the problem. Most of us are trying to earn our position with God. Now, remember the Bible said in Colossians that the Father has qualified you. You don't qualify because you've been so good, right? In fact, our best efforts are not good enough, right? So most people are trying to obey the law, doing good things. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments, right? Now, the Ten Commandments... And all the law was not given to make you right with God. That's what people think. If I can just do that, then I'll be all right. No, they were not given to make you right with God. In fact, Romans 5, 20 says this. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The reason God gave the Ten Commandments was not so that you could obey them and say, I'm perfect, but so you'd know you were rotten sinner. I'll let that sink in. The law entered that offense that sin might abound. Wow. Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. By obeying the law, how many people are going to be made right with God? Zero. No flesh. Not Mother Teresa. Not Billy Graham. Nobody is ever going to go and stand before God and say, God, I did it all right. Nobody. Romans 3, 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. How are you made right with God? Apart from the works of the law. So we need to recognize that it's not what we've done. It's what Jesus has done. God looked at humanity and saw our condition and said, they don't need a Band-Aid or an operation. It's much more serious. We've got to kill them. The only thing we can do is, so is kill them. So Jesus came and supplied a death. He died for you. He died for me. He paid for our sin. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching. Uh, the day of Pentecost, the day the church is born. And the people say, what shall we do? In uh, Acts 2.38, he said, let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And listen, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So really what happened is this, is at water baptism, it is a promise for more. It's a promise that God has more for you and you shall receive. 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. They are, they're, they're baptized in the sea, but they're baptized under the cloud, which is a pillar of fire. Jesus is baptized in water. He comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. Right? Again, it's water baptism, spirit baptism. You look here in Acts chapter two. He said, be baptized in water and there is a promise of more. Right? And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, it's interesting that, that Jesus' present day ministry uh, only has three. Jesus is doing three things, if you didn't know that. Right? He's not done. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's what he's doing. Jesus is building the church. And John the Baptist told us, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Right? So, so when, when, when we receive the, Holy, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we are really receiving part of the present day ministry of Jesus. So then they come up out of the, the water. The Egyptians try to follow. They're drowned. And they go three days journey. And they come to a place called Mara. This is in Exodus 15. And it says they went through the wilderness. They found no water. And they came to Mara, which means bitter. And they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of the place is called Mara. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So when he had cried to the Lord, the Lord showed him a tree, and he cast the tree in the waters, and the waters were made sweet. Now, three days before this, right, God opened the sea, and they walked through on dry ground. Three days before. And now three days have passed. And they're like, what, where is God? What's wrong? You know, so many people have the idea. Well, if I ever see God do something, I mean, if there is ever, if I ever see a miracle, man, I will believe and I will never doubt and I will never go back. God opened the sea. They walked through on dry ground. And all that they're doing is, God, can't you do this? And God, what's the problem with that? And God, why don't you do this? And God, where's the water? And God, Three days, three days. Listen, uh, Asaph, um, who was King David's praise and worship leader, by the way, he, he wrote several Psalms. And one of the Psalms that he wrote is Psalm 78. And this is what he said. Yet again and again, they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. They tempted God and they limited the Holy One of it. This is what this means. That means God wanted to do more for them than he was able to do. Right? God wanted to do more for them. I believe with all of my heart that there is not one of us that is receiving everything God's got for us. God has so much more for us. But because of our unbelief, we limit the Holy One of Israel. Now, look what it said. They didn't remember his power. The day when he redeemed them from the enemy, when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoram, he turned their rivers to blood and their streams so that they couldn't drink. He's saying this, they didn't remember all the things that God had done for them. And because they didn't remember his testimonies, they kept on limiting God. In Revelation chapter 19 in verse 10, it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let me unpack that. This is what it means. If you find what God has done, it is a prophecy of what God wants to do. In fact, King David said this. He said, all of your testimonies, in one place he said, we've inherited them. We've inherited them. In other words, what God has done, he'll do again. In, in fact, the root of the word testimony is do again. Do again. What God has done, he wants to do again. Right? But so often, we don't steward what God has done for us right? in our own lives. And then beyond that, think of this. Every one of the testimonies of what God has done whether you find it in the word of God or you hear it, David said, that's your inheritance. It belongs to you. What he has done is a testimony of what he wants to do again. And let me close with this thought. In 1 Kings 11 and verse 9, it says, So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. In other words, Solomon had two supernatural experiences, but he didn't steward them. He didn't remember them. He didn't let them have a, 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 an effect on his life and his heart turned away from God. When God does something for us, we need to remember it, right? We need to steward it, right? And remember that whatever God has done for somebody else, or you find in the word of God, it is your inheritance. It belongs to you. What God has done is a testimony of what he wants to do. It is a prophecy of what God is going to do again. In fact, I know that this is true. When there is a testimony, we meditate on it and we receive it. The same anointing that was there that caused that testimony to come to pass becomes present when we believe that testimony. Well, Father, I pray right now that, that the, the word that's been sown in our hearts, that, that it'll bring forth fruit, that we will not forget the, 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 the revelation that you've given us, the things that you've done in our life. I pray, Father, that we'll steward them. And, and Father, that the anointing that was there, that it'll become manifest and bring forth great things in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to close today with a joke. So I don't even know who sent me this joke, but when I heard it, I just laughed, so I thought I'd just share it with you, all right? So there's this hedge fund manager, and, and he's leaving his office, and his brand new Porsche is parked on the road. And he goes and he opens the door, and when he does, a truck comes by, hits the door, and flies off its hinges. And, and so the, the, this hedge fund manager, he turns around and he looks at his new Porsche. And he goes, my Porsche, my beautiful silver Porsche, it's ruined. It's ruined. My new Porsche, look at the door. It's gone. It's dented. It's ruined. It's ruined. The police officer standing nearby who saw the whole thing shakes his head in disgust. He says, unbelievable. He says, you're so focused on your possessions, you don't even realize that when that truck come by, it ripped your arm off. And he looks down and he goes, oh my goodness, my Rolex, my Rolex. <laughs> hey, Jesus said this. He said, take heed and beware. 
Beware of covetous because your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. We live in a culture that tells us your, your, your self-worth is determined by your net worth. And Jesus said, it's a lie. He says, the possessions that you have have nothing to do with the value of your life. Your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember seeing a bumper sticker that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. No, he who dies with the most toys is dead. They don't win. They're just dead. And then they're going to have to answer for what they did with the, the blessings that God gave their life. And, and really so many people, they're, they're trying to climb this ladder of success, realizing, not realizing, it's, it's, it's leaning against a building that they don't want to climb up, that there's no answer on the top. All right. Jesus said this. He said, what would it profit you if you gained the whole world, but you lost your soul? He said, if you had Michigan with a fence around it and it was all yours, he said, but you lost your soul. You're a loser. You are a loser. Okay. So a man came to Jesus and uh, he said, Jesus, what's the purpose of life? And the way he worded it was this. He said, Jesus, he said, what's the greatest commandment? What is it that God expects from us? And Jesus answered him and said, the first and the great commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. He said, but the second's like it. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two laws, he says, hang, hang all of the law and the prophets. Here's what Jesus said. The purpose of your life is not to accumulate stuff. The purpose of life is to love God and to love people. Love God and love people. You know, if you will love God and love people, you will have joy. You will have peace. You'll have fulfillment. You see, that's what's going to bring you what so many people are looking for in a new Porsche and a Rolex, but it's not there. But when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus said, all of the stuff that you're looking for, it will be added to you. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.